Kristen, would you like me to pray for you? Or are you gonna are you gonna start off and pray? Yeah, please. Uh, yeah. I want to pray for my friend. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for um, this dear friend and sister in Christ, and thank you, Lord, for the way you work through her so powerfully, and for the way um, you even speak to her in her heart of hearts, the way you speak to each one of us, and you say, "You are my beloved daughter." because of Jesus Christ. And so even now, while she's speaking, would you shower her with your great love for her? And then would you let us be also recipients of that great love? Would you pour out your love upon us, even as we turn to you, as we look to Scripture, and as we hear your word? And so we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hello. Thank you, Deborah. You know, one of the joys of being at the Advent is to have Deborah on staff. Um, those of you who are members probably can uh, join in and attest to this, but um, I just enjoy sitting at the feet of Deborah. She's such a gifted Bible teacher, and I would have been fine if you had spoken today. I would have enjoyed that. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity to share the pulpit um, all for the glory of the Lord. And it's nice to see so many friendly, familiar faces and some new faces today. Um, can I pray again? Okay, thank you. Oh Jesus, less of me and more of you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. So I don't know about you, but even though I've been a Christian for a long time, I still battle in my mind with different opposing views of God. Every day is a struggle with belief in some way. A belief in a God who still loves me, a belief in a God who forgives me, a belief in a God whose mercy does not run dry, a belief in a God who is near me and not far from me. Recently, in the last six months with our son's uh, Crohn's diagnosis, the question of, is God still a good God? Does he care about us? Perhaps you find yourself asking at times, is God going to run out on me like that parent or spouse did? Is God not going to forgive me like that friend who refused to forgive? Who is God and what do we believe about him in those darkest moments when we have nothing left to give? Our God is not the God of Julie Gold's song. You may not recognize her name. and You may recognize Bette Midler who made it famous from a distance. Um, Our God is not the God of from a distance who is or perhaps should be watching from a distance. Who is God is the singular most important question for us believers, and in fact for all of humanity. Everything else stems from how we answer that question. The questions about who we are, our identity, our salvation, all stem from how do we answer the question, who is God? Such a little question for a lunch, right? So this is why I'm about to do something unusual and not very Episcopalian, um, and that is teach from an Advent passage, 66 days before Christmas, or at least according to my count, the 66 days. But I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, can help us answer the question, who is God, in her song, song, also known as Magnificat. So we have it here on the the sheet of paper, and I'm going to read the text and invite you to read along with me. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our, to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. So back to the question, who is God, and who is the God we find in Mary's song? I'm only going to have two points. So um, the first one is, Mary praises a God who mercifully acts on her behalf. Mary praises a God who mercifully acts on her behalf. Mary's song is a response to what has happened just a few verses prior in the Annunciation of the Incarnation of Jesus Christ. You may remember that twice Gabriel tells Mary that she has found favor with God. And what favor? She is the one who will bear the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. Mary was just a young, poor, country, unmarried girl from Nazareth. Nazareth, that place of which Nathaniel once asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I think that was like a rhetorical question. No, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Mary has no reason to boast. Perhaps that's why she was so troubled over what the angel said. On what merit could Mary find favor with God so that he would send an angel and promise his presence? Remember what the angel says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, a promise of God's presence. She, of course, had no merit. Like us, Mary was a daughter of Eve. Like us, she could join in and say as we do in our prayer of humble access, We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under that table. But what immediately follows in that same prayer? It's my favorite prayer, probably. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. That's the same phrase that just a few days ago, I was so ashamed over something I said. I was like my son in my bed with my sheets over my head. I didn't want to pull the sheets down because I was so ashamed over something that I had done and said. And it was that phrase, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy repeated over and over in my head that got me out of bed. Mary's song locates the saving activity squarely in the very being of God, a Savior who acts mercifully for her. I'm going to repeat that. Mary's song locates the saving activity squarely in the very being of God, a Savior who acts mercifully for her. God has determined himself to be her Savior. He has chosen to be her Savior. God's looking on the humble estate of his servant. It's not the kind of looking we women do when we go window shopping. You know, we tell our moms or our husbands or ourselves, I'm just looking, um, which means I'm going to admire, but I'm not going to buy. But when God looks, he acts. And when God looks, he buys. And when he acts, we praise. As New Testament scholar Joel Green puts it, God acts graciously. People respond with joy and praise. And that's what Mary's doing. She's responding with joy and praise to how God has acted mercifully for her. And then God's merciful action results in a new title for Mary, blessed. Oh, we Southerners love to use that word blessed. And I'm the most guilty. Bless her heart. Or bless his heart. Um, If you think about it, it's really kind of a cutting remark, isn't it? We use it when someone has done something foolish or silly. We use it of those who are gullible. 
or when someone has just gone through difficult circumstances, bless her heart. But when the word blessed is used of someone in scripture, it is used of someone who has received divine favor, who has been blessed by God. God's blessing flows from being in right relationship to God. Jesus tells Peter, after he confessed him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. True blessing comes from the one from whom all blessings flow, who has the power to bless, because he himself is blessed, because he is God. Don't miss that. He himself is blessed because he is God. He is the source of all blessing. That is why he can bless us. And Mary's blessedness points not to herself, but to the one who has blessed her, God, her Savior. And it's kind of like what we do in our worship service. It begins with, blessed be the Lord, the Father Almighty. No, how does that go? Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be God, Father, Son, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Um, so we're turning that blessing back to God. God has blessed us, so we are able to say, blessed are you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why is Mary called blessed? Well, she tells us, you see, for he, verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Do you notice the juxtaposition in these first few verses? We have Mary, who is humble and who is a servant, juxtaposed with God, who is mighty and has done great things for her. It is only the one who is mighty who is able to take the lowly and lift them up and change their status. The mighty one has taken her from the place of a lowly servant to a place of blessing and honor. So how does he do it? Well, our text doesn't supply that answer, but that's why we read scripture in conversation with scripture. God the mighty one is able to bless the lowly one by himself becoming lowly. Paul writes in Philippians, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The fullness of God's blessing came to Mary in the very presence of God. In Gabriel's announcement, he tells Mary that the Most High will overshadow her, and the Son of God will be conceived in her. Think of the magnitude of such an act. When King Solomon was getting ready to build a temple for the Lord, he said, The house that I'm to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house, since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? The same God who cannot be contained by the highest heaven, whose small toe was too big to fit in the temple, chose to make himself small, so small to fit in a womb, and not just any womb, Mary's womb. This great act of humility was a gracious act to the mighty one for Mary. This is why she can say, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But Mary's song doesn't stop there with verse 49. Mary not only praises a God who mercifully acts on her behalf, secondly, she also praises a God who mercifully acts on behalf of others, namely Israel. Mary understands that what God has done for her is representative of or sets into motion what God is doing for his people. New Testament scholar Joel Green again says, It is by means of his looking with favor on the lowliness of his servant Mary that he has helped his servant Israel. She is the means through which he is helping Israel. It is through her that God has chosen to fulfill his covenantal promise. 
And just as Elizabeth's pregnancy was a sign for Mary that God would fulfill his word to her, so Mary serves as our sign that what God has done for Mary, he will do for us. So Mary is our sign that what God has done for her, he will do for us. And of course, I'm not talking about literally bearing the Son of God. But just as he poured out his spirit on Mary and she was not consumed, so too he will pour out his spirit at Pentecost and thereafter for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Just as he reversed Mary's status and showed her favor and mercy, he will do the same for us. He has done the same for us in Christ. But what may make us feel uncomfortable as we've read these verses is how God's mercy is described. Did you notice it's described in very concrete, worldly terms? Where is the spiritual reality of God's mercy or talk of hearts and faith and sin? Why does Mary use a description of God overcoming the social realities of our daily existence instead of him overcoming the sinful realities of our spiritual existence? You know, we reject the promises of prosperity gospel preachers that just with the right amount of faith and the least amount of sin, God's blessings will pour out on us in material ways. We reject this because we know that even the righteous will suffer. So how do we reconcile this? First, and we shouldn't miss this, God is a merciful God. God's acting in human history is an act of grace. Grace implies that we are given something we do not deserve. The second part of Mary's song, if you notice, begins and ends with a reference to God's mercy. So in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then she ends, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Thus, God's acts listed between verses 50 and 54 should be read in light of God's grace. Theologian Karl Barth says, we have perverted, wasted, and hopelessly compromised our own being, life, and activity who find ourselves disqualified. He's basically saying we're all messed up people. He goes on to say, We've offended and provoked God, making ourselves impossible before him. Just as my five-year-old sometimes is so impossible before uh, my husband and me, so we too are impossible before God. It is exactly what we confess and pray to God each week in our prayer of confession. We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed, against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. Like Mary, we have forfeited any rights to salvation on our own merit. Oh, but God. When God's name is used with the word but, there is hope. God's coming to us through the womb of Mary breaks into our world with a declaration of his mercy and the divine but. But God, Paul writes in Ephesians, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, he says. And so now there's a long quote from uh, Karl Barth on your sheet. And you can read that with me or you can just listen but it was so good I didn't know how to cut it. So here's what theologian Karl Barth says. God with us means more than God over or side by side with us, before or behind us. It means more than his divine being and even the most intimate active connection with our human being, otherwise peculiar to him. It means that God has made himself the one who fulfills his redemptive will. 
It means that God has become man in order to take up our case. What takes place in this work of inconceivable mercy is, therefore, the free overruling of God. But it is not an arbitrary overlooking and ignoring, not an artificial bridging, covering over, hiding, but a real closing of the breach, gulf and abyss between God and us for which we are responsible. At the very point where we refuse and fail, offending and provoking God, making ourselves impossible before him, and in that way missing our destiny, treading underfoot our dignity, forfeiting our right, losing our salvation, apart from God, that is, and hopelessly compromising our creaturely being, at that very point, God himself intervenes as man. This is why, friends, we can say that God with us is God's for us in Jesus Christ. God with us is God's for us in Jesus Christ. Second, we can reconcile his mercy with these very concrete terms by, saying, by knowing that God is a God who cares for the whole person. Think of Jesus' ministry. Yes, he proclaims good news for the sinner, but he also feeds the hungry on the mountain. He physically heals the wounded. He commands his disciples to take care of the most vulnerable, the widows and the orphans. He turns water into wine for a wedding feast. He delivers those who are demon-possessed. He raises the dead and gives them back to his family. He weeps with the weeping. The fact that the God who created the material has entered into the material shows us that God cares about even the very basic necessities of this life. His mercy doesn't stop with overturning the oppressor of our spiritual lives, but extends to those people and those things that oppress even our physical lives. God's good, isn't he? This part of Mary's song is declarative of what God is doing in the present, but it's also a prophecy of what he will do in the future. So you may be in a place where you're not seeing this right now in your life, but it is at work, and he will bring it to fruition. Um, we see this in the book of Revelation. He scatters the proud, brings down the mighty from their thrones, sends the rich away empty, exalts the humble, and fills the hungry. In this context, Mary is not simply talking about the poor as those who are unfortunate and the rich as those who have money. These terms are used to represent those who are humble and depend on God, the poor, and those who use their power and privilege to oppress others, the rich. You can have money but still be poor in spirit. You can be poor and still reject God in your pride. These are representative terms. But even God's judgment on the mighty is an act of mercy in order that they may repent and turn to him. In his mercy, he takes away those things which become stumbling blocks to him and gives those things which sustain his people. So, short talk. In conclusion, who is God? Or what does Mary's song teach us about our God? He is the God who has determined himself to be a God with the people. He has chosen to be a God with a people. He is a God who desires to be known personally and by what he does for us in history. He is a God who loves freely and freely acts mercifully on our behalf. Freely. He is a God who desires to be praised for what he has done for us in history. He is the God who, as we confess in our creeds, for us men and our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For us men, women, 
and our salvation. And I have three more quotes from another theologian on your handout. His name is T.F. Torrance. I thought that they fit aptly. So T.F. Torrance says, He loves us with the very love which he is. This is maybe hard to put our minds around this. Um, Dean Timothy George of Eastern Divinity School described it to me um, once as like a fountain. So in Christ, Christ brings us to, to God. And there's this love that exists within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's like a fountain that's just overflowing, bursting over, and pours out onto us. So the same love with which he loves himself within the Trinity is poured out onto us. It's the same love. In this final revelation, Torrent says, of himself, God proclaims himself to all mankind as the one Lord God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, who in his overflowing love will not be without us human beings, but has freely come among us to be one of us and one with us in order to reconcile us to himself and to bring us into communion with himself. Lastly, we believe that what God has toward us in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, he is in himself, antecedently and eternally in himself. And that what he imparts to us through the spirit who sheds the love of God into our hearts, he is in himself, antecedently and eternally in himself. This means that there is not a different God behind the back of Jesus. This means that Jesus, if we think of him as good and loving, but then we think, oh, behind him is some angry God, some mean God behind him, some father who really doesn't love me. No, the same God that we see in Jesus Christ is the same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. There's not a different God behind the back of Jesus. The God who is for Mary is the same God who is for us, working in our lives, hovering over our chaos. Think of Genesis. He hovered over the chaos and created new life. So too, he is working, hovering over the chaos of our lives, making us new. He is not a God at a distance. He is God with us. Mary's God is our God, thus, here's the kicker, Mary's song is our song. So this is our song, friends. And it's not just reserved for Christmas. This is a song that we can sing at all times, rejoicing that God is for us. I don't know, I got to be sure. That's what happens with the love of God, isn't it? overpowers you so how I want us to end is in Christ we too can sing with Mary and I'd like us all to just um, say together the first four verses well let's say the whole song together it's all the song it's all of our songs and Mary said my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Amen. have any questions for Kristen or thoughts that came up while you were listening and while you're reading the handout and looking at the quotes in the scripture passage? Anybody have any thoughts or questions for Kristen? Yes. Did everyone hear that? God is a loving God, but we do know in the past there's been a clear sense of punishment or discipline or wrath, if we say wrath. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me more nervous to answer questions on the spot because I haven't had time to think about it. So if I (laughs) we can text you, okay. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. Well, you know, something um, my husband has helped me with is that none of us deserve mercy. We are all messed up. And mercy and grace is the, what makes it, mercy and grace is that we don't deserve it. You know, that um, what we deserve is wrath. What we deserve is judgment. Um, so sometimes those who have received mercy, we have received mercy. You know, it's hard to, how do we reconcile? Um, but yes, the same God who uh, in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. Revel, you know, through Revelation we have the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Um, and to remember that it is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. So we see Jesus Christ. He's the one who became incarnate. But if you think back to the Annunciation, uh, the Father is the one who was sent, the angel and the Son. The Son is the one who is coming, but he's coming through the divine agency of the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. So it's a Trinitarian work for people. And um, something you've talked about before and something I've said is that God's judgment is always intended to bring people to himself. It's always intended to, to lead people toward repentance so that they might turn to him and turn away from their sin. Um... We see that also in Revelation um, at the end times. So I don't know if that helps answer. You might supplement better. Can I tag on? Because when you look at the Garden of Eden, remember Adam and Eve fall into sin and they're thrown out of the garden and there's an angel with a flaming sword so that they can't get back in because they used to eat from the tree of life and now they've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and done what they shouldn't have done. 
And so now, they're, now they're, they've fallen into sin, and all of us with them. Thanks so much, mom and dad, spiritually. And then, um, so, well, what if they got back into the garden and had access to that tree of life, and they were able to live on eternally with sin and destruction in their hearts? And what if we were able to live on eternally with sin and destruction in our hearts? That would be horrible. That would be hellish, wouldn't it? That would be a quick way of, of destroying all of creation. And so I think there is some way in which God's judgment, when you look at it from a big picture, doesn't feel like it at the time to the one under judgment, me. But when you look at it at, in the big picture, it's, um, you see it's actually merciful and good, going towards um, saving all of creation, essentially. But he brings in the judgment for a time. And then also, if it weren't for the Trinity, we wouldn't be able to have both his justice, which is ultimately good, even though it doesn't feel good when we're on the receiving end of the judgment. Any, any child is so mad when they get disciplined. I mean, I just they're not glad that you've sent them to their room ever, and they probably won't be for a long time, and they might not even know why you did it. But when they become a parent, they're going to see, right? So, so I do think that, thank goodness for the Trinity and for the way that God then is able, because of Jesus Christ and because of his solution to our problem, he's able to be both just and merciful in giving us Jesus and, and himself going to die on the cross and take upon himself our judgment. And then, and so he's extending both mercy and also appeasing the need for judgment and justice. How beautiful. I, I stand back apart from, wow, thank you, Lord, for doing that for me. I stand back and I say, that's just a beautiful solution. God is so brilliant. But, yeah. Good question. Any other questions or thoughts? Okay. Let's close in prayer. And let's pray for Kristen, too, in Thanksgiving. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your servant, Kristen. Um, we thank you, Lord, for this handmaiden of the Lord and for the way you've um, worked through her, bringing this word to fruition for us. And we thank you, Lord, for the truth of this word that you've given us this morning, that you are truly for us, even as you're with us. And so we ask, Lord, wherever we are, each one of us in our own lives, you see and know exactly what's going on with us day to day, and we know that. And even more than that, you know the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, which is a scary thing. But yet, Lord, we know that you do not condemn us, but you have forgiven us and freed us. And you are able to draw near without, um, without shame or condemnation for us. And so we're thankful for that. So thank you for drawing near to us in Jesus. And thank you, Lord, then for forgiving us and restoring us and renewing us. And so today, even as we're in the midst of um, whatever we're slogging through, um, might feel like a marsh, or it might feel like we're in the deep end and trying to tread water, or it might feel like um, we're hacking through the jungle, whatever it is that we're slogging through, Lord, would you be the one to bring order out of the chaos? Would you be the one to um, walk us through, even in the midst of the chaos, allow us to be in the midst of the chaos without um, going nuts? And, Lord, would you be our through line, our um, foundation, our strong Savior, even in the midst of whatever's going on for us today. Mm -hmm. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and merciful, merciful and you delight um, to work on our behalf. And so we put ourselves into your loving arms. We trust you again today. Um, and we ask, Lord, that you would send us out from this place with great joy and with a sense of peace. 
um, that you are working things out on our behalf in ways we cannot even see or imagine. And so we ask that you do this for us in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.